Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's December 27th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. And welcome, my friends, to the second installment of the series this week called Unscripted. As everybody knows, this week I'll be covering listener questions about America and the world. No script, though, just a conversation. Answering your inquiries with facts and data, as always, plus my analysis and opinion. Well, yesterday we covered the Middle East and Asia. I hope you all enjoyed it. Today we'll be diving into questions from everybody about U.S. politics, talking about the migration crisis, socialism, plus some questions about whether or not voting actually matters anymore. So let's get right to it. And we start with a thoughtful question today from Jason in New Jersey about the migration crisis. Brian, he wrote, I'm trying to understand why the border invasion, in my view, isn't a bigger deal. Why don't Republican governors just refuse to cooperate with the federal government and send down thousands of National Guardsmen to places like Texas and just shut down the daggone border? I'm wondering why there's no civil disobedience of these state leaders and just do that. What what happened to the old expression of, of, you know, getting into some good old trouble? Because now would be the time to do that. So, Jason, I love the fire of your email and, frankly, your very clear understanding of the threat. I also appreciate your solution to, to force the governors of this country to take lead rather than asking you and I to do something here and take it into our own hands. So let's talk about this migration crisis or invasion, as frankly, you and a lot of other Americans, a majority of Americans call it. And let's do a refresh quickly and about the the scale and the scope of things and talk about what we've learned over the past week or so. So two days ago, reporters announced that U.S. Border Patrol officers have encountered 730,000 people on the southern border in just the last three months. That is the size of Denver, ladies and gentlemen, in three months. So that means that we are seeing over 10,000 people a day who are crossing over the border unvetted and absolutely uninvited. To underline the audacity and the outrage of those numbers, we've got a new migrant caravan we should know about. It's on its way about halfway uh, to the, across the border from Guatemala into Mexico. It's being led by a migration activist with upwards of 16,000 people in this caravan. Now, I want you to consider this latest news and think about how we would have processed these numbers 20 years ago, right? It would have been only a couple of years after 9-11 with very fresh memories of the dead and dying from that day. It was an attack, of course, that was led by 19 people. So imagine what we know to be true from 20 years ago, what that was like for those of us who were around. And think about this. How would our leaders in Washington, D.C. have responded 20 years ago, both Democrats and Republicans, to these numbers? 
with the knowledge that 730,000 unvetted migrants or people were coming across the border, 10,000 or so each day, with another 16,000 just days away. Also, considering this, 20 years ago, of course, we were attacked by just 19 hijackers. And yet, last month in November, U.S. Border Patrol officials arrested 17 people on the U.S. terror watch list. So putting all that together, how would Washington, D.C. of 20 years ago, both Democrats and Republicans, have responded to these numbers? Well, I think that most of us would say that there would have been bipartisan panic and outrage and anger, and we would have stopped it immediately. I can see President Bush and Democrats at the time joining together to up to and including declaring martial law on the border to deploy troops with, I, I could see President Bush picking up the phone to Mexico and saying, one more migrant comes across my border and friends, we are going to turn your country into a parking lot. And that would have been the response either because those politicians loved America or there were the memories of thousands of dead Americans and their families who would not have tolerated anything else. No excuse making. But now, 20 years later, what are the politicians in Washington, D.C. doing this morning? Well, they're not there. They went home for Christmas. They took a break. And the man in the White House, who is supposedly in charge of this country to defend our borders from being invaded, he actually is refusing to do anything this morning until he gets more money for Ukraine. He's using the border crisis as leverage to get $60 billion for another country's war. I've briefed you on that many times. So that is D.C. as of this morning, Jason. But the case that you're making is that the implications of this federal failure are so profound, so egregious, and so forever changing of the whole of America that governors should step in. And I think in terms of the the overall threat, you're right. This is a crisis. This is an invasion that certainly, if not gets close to, hits that point of a red line that would ring an alarm. But let's pause for a moment because it's not just in Washington, D.C. where this problem either sits or people are ringing the alarm. As listeners know, there is the mayor of Washington, of New York City, rather, a Democrat. He has said that the border invasion is going to destroy his town, New York City. Meanwhile, the mayor of Chicago, also a Democrat, has said that the lack of a federal government response, well, that has led to his city collapsing as well in many cases. The illegal migrants sleeping in police stations, also at the airport in Chicago. The governor of Arizona as well recently blasted uh, the federal government, indeed her own party, Mr. Biden, saying that the federal government government is failing her state this morning, and so, so she is deploying the National Guard. And finally, we should know this. In Carbondale, Colorado, a city of 6,000 people that is very high in the Colorado Rockies, they've now got 120 illegal migrants sleeping under a bridge in that little city right now because those people heard some rumors that they could get work somewhere up in the mountains in December, but they can't. So under a bridge, they now sleep, putting a profound strain on that very small city. And that experience in Carbondale, Jason, is happening in thousands of cities every day in America and will continue until somebody stops it. So imagining then that we are governors this morning, as Jason is offering us, what is our responsibility to our state and to the country, knowing these facts? At what point does a governor say, 
All right, enough. The federal government has clearly collapsed in its central function to defend the nation against enemies foreign and domestic. It is thus time for me and other governors to lead, even if that means that we force, frankly, a constitutional crisis with the feds. In other words, we as states have no good options left. And if the White House isn't going to defend the nation, then constitutionally, we must. So that is the argument that I think Jason is putting forward this morning. And I tell you, I hear you. I understand the logic. Uh, The facts are on your side. And I tell you, I, I think that the founders of this country would look at this situation and agree with you that it is time for the governors to act. Now, I would imagine that if governors are thinking about this option this morning, they would think about uh, think rather about making a case for their involvement uh, and using the 10th Amendment uh, in doing so, or they wouldn't. They would just do it by engaging in some civil disobedience, getting into some good trouble, as they say, for the good of the nation. So as we think about Jason's argument this morning, what he's proposing, if you think that this is compelling at all, get in contact with your governors. Write them, call them. Also, you should do the same with your state legislatures because it is a small world in your state capitals. And in some cases, as we have talked about before, these state legislators are your neighbors. So reach out to them. But I want to say one other quick thing about this because there's something that Jason didn't say when he referenced and encouraged us to think about how the governors can play a role. The average person like you and me we can't fix the border. This is not a time for vigilante justice. And I know some folks have talked about it. I've I've seen it. So here's the reason, folks, why that is not an option. The Biden uh, Department of Justice is absolutely salivating at the chance for folks to do this, to arrest then anyone who tries anything like it. So just don't do it. This fight needs to be between governors and the president who use their state offices and the Constitution and the powers that they have to make this argument of their involvement and ultimately to save the nation. So, Jason, thank you for your email. Thank you for the clarity, for the outrage, for the righteousness of your cause, because it is good. And I hear you. So, again, ladies and gentlemen, call those governors, call those state reps and senators and tell them to use their powers and challenge the federal government. And if nothing else, tell your governors to get into some good trouble for the good of the nation. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. When we come back, I'm going to tell you about a listener who challenged me to see if I could fairly present the counterpoint to everything that I just said to make the argument for illegal migration. And then if I so choose to make the case for why I disagree All right, well, challenge accepted. So for subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com this morning, thank you. Thank you for your time, your financial support, and your great questions this morning. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, I am so grateful for you as well. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, we all know that good meals equal a good, healthy body. And that's why I continue to tell you about Factormeals.com. They're the folks that deliver fresh, never-frozen meals right to your doorstep. All you do is open the box, and within two minutes of heating, they are ready to enjoy. And 
boy, do you have a lot to enjoy. You've got 35 different meal options to choose from every week, from things like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, even vegetarian foods, if that's your cup of tea. And we are talking about good food for breakfast, lunch, dinner, plus grab-and-go snacks and cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. By the way, I've got two recommendations for you. Their pork chops are top shelf, and I also love the mango smoothies. So there you go. But seriously, folks, I love Factor Meals. They are the perfect option for either very busy folks like me or retired folks who want good, healthy meals but don't want the fuss of cooking. So support the folks who support me and get Factor Meals right now at 50% off. Yeah. So here's how you do it. Go to factormeals.com slash right five zero. That's W-R-I-G-H-T five zero and get 50% off. Yes, that's code right five zero at factorymeals.com slash right five zero and get your 50% off. But I'll tell you, more importantly, you are going to get a meal service, my friends, that is good for your body and great for your taste buds. I promise. Folks, if you're looking for a new mattress, I've got one at 60% off. Yeah, we're talking about Ghost Bed, the company that I think makes the finest mattresses in all of America. As you know by now, I have the Lux model. That one is designed to help people like me who sleep a little bit hot. But that is not the only reason that I bought a Ghost Bed. I care mostly about craftsmanship and high-quality materials. And when you feel a Ghost Bed, you feel both the quality and the comfort. And you feel it, by the way, right out of the box, delivered right to your doorstep. Now, I do have a confession on that point. I was a little bit skeptical about buying a mattress that comes in a relatively small box. But however that magic works, I don't know, but it does work. And the mattresses are absolutely fantastic. Still, if you're skeptical like I was, don't worry. Ghostbed has a 101-day trial period, plus free shipping and returns, so you can try it out in the comfort of your own home. So if you're looking for a mattress or you want to gift one to somebody this holiday season, go to ghostbed.com slash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And when you do, you are going to get 60% off your ghost bed purchase. But you got to use that web address. Again, folks, go to ghostbed.com slash right, W-R-I-G-H-T, and get yourself the good night's sleep that you deserve. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our special year-end episode of Unscripted. It's a conversation between us all, driven by listener questions over the past number of months. So this next one is from Max in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is, if I recall, home of Frank Sinatra, which, by the way, kind of a fun story. I once had dinner with his granddaughter in New York City. Very, very lovely gal. Had Sinatra's eyes. Anyway. So Max wrote to me and said, Brian, I actually agree with you about illegal migration, but what I struggle with is to understand the counter argument. So what's the logic? What's their reasoning? Are there any good benefits that might outweigh the bad that obviously Democrats believe in? Because I don't know what they are. Maybe you do. Because, well, it would be leaning into your old political party that that you used to be a part of. Well, Max... Great question and challenge accepted. And by the way, more on my former party affiliation probably tomorrow. We'll see. But more importantly, let's have this earnest counterpoint to talk about regarding this migration issue, which the left or Democrats call undocumented migration or migrant crisis. And let's start in Carbondale, uh, Colorado, right, which I mentioned before the break. 
And let's talk about a man named Mr. Colin Laird. He's a Democrat and one of the city's responders to the migrants' recent arrival in his town. He said this, Carbondale is generally pretty democratic and liberal, so we're getting a lot of comments from people like, you're doing the right thing. Unfortunately, we don't have the capacity for the right thing anymore. Okay. Well, in his response is something very important, and it gets to Max's ultimate question. Doing the right thing. That helps explain the classic liberal or Democrat tradition of, frankly, loose migration policies. So the justification then boils down to three things. First, Democrats, classic liberals, they argue that we are a nation of immigrants and we are founded by people who fled persecution. So we have a special obligation to people all around the world who desire the same, ultimately freedom. In fact, it's on the Statue of Liberty, after all. Second, they say that migrants have built this country, whether that be in our mines, our forests, our fields, our factories. Migrants have built it all. In fact, they still do. Without them, we would be nothing, at least economically. We would fall apart, actually. Third, most modern, or I should say classic liberals, say that America's birth rate is important in this case regarding migration. It's falling. And so to grow the nation, to keep our economic engine humming, we need more migrants to make up for, frankly, our lack of American-born babies. So those are the three big classical liberal arguments for liberal migration policies. But there are two more arguments that come from the far left, the the communists, the socialists, that now, frankly, dominate most of of the Democrat Party, that include members that are called the squad, like AOC and Rashid Tlaib and others. So these folks on the far left, they justify open borders with two different rationales. First, they argue that borders are violence. They prevent people, labor, from crossing from country to country to maximize their value and their wages. And that's not fair because businesses can hop from country to country. So people should too. We got to open the borders, even the playing field. Second, the argument by the radical leftists, the far leftists, the Marxists, they say that America is a country founded by violence and colonizers. And those include white people, straight people, Jews, Christians, men, and so forth. And the way that we should make amends for that colonizing history is to open the borders and allow the world to flood in, removing the power or the influence of the colonizers and to replace them with the oppressed which would obviously be the inverse of the colonizers. So in other words, the folks who are black or gay or Muslim or women or so forth. And it would be those new power brokers who would then decolonize America and turn it into something better, which in their view would be a Marxist utopia, sort of a a Soviet Union, but you know, one that doesn't fall apart. So those are the five big arguments then made by Democrats and leftists for why we should embrace open borders. All right, so I find none of those arguments to be compelling or smart or based on facts or at the end of the day would lead to a country that any of us would really want to live in. So here's why, and I want to tackle each of these five arguments first, it is true that we are a nation of immigrants and we celebrate that. But the Statue of Liberty argument that we should just let in the poor or the suffering of the world, that is absolutely asinine based on the facts. And here those facts are. There are hundreds of millions of people on the planet Earth who live in poverty. 
There are additional hundreds of millions more who live in war-torn countries. And there are billions more who just want to change. Maybe their countries are corrupt. Maybe they are polluted. Maybe they don't have good medical care. Whatever. In other words, you've got billions and billions of people on this planet that are the poor huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Okay, so do we take all of them or just some of them? And if some of them, which ones? Just the ones who can get here? Because if that's true, that doesn't sound very nice. That would be discriminatory. So we have to be equitable, right? And save all of the poor and the hurting. Now, that might require us to charter some planes, use the military to bring some ships around the world and bring them back. Okay, well, that is clearly ridiculous because it would destroy the country. And that is why ultimately we, we have immigration laws to decide who gets in, how many get in, and why, all based on our needs or interests. And that is not unique to America, ladies and gentlemen. This argument is not unique to even Brian. It is true of humanity making that same argument since the beginning of time. Every tribe or nation or kingdom, they have all decided over the millennia who gets in to their compounds or their countries and why based on their cultures or religions or values or their fidelity, right? So this Statue of Liberty argument is just a no-go for any person who actually thinks. Second, Let's talk about the argument that migrants have built this country economically, and without their labor, we would just fall apart. Well, Democrats and frankly, some Republicans would argue, hey, if we don't have these cheap migrants, who's going to build our houses or tend to our yards or maybe pick our cotton? Oh, right. So this argument of importing cheap labor is a very, very slippery slope that has led to some of the history's most egregious sins. So if you're going to make this argument to bring in migrants to work in our factories or farms because they're cheap, okay, but in my view, it's got to be regulated, it's got to be limited, and we've got to be thinking about uh, the priority to our native-born Americans. But actually, I think that there's something much more important that we need to talk about when we start talking about migrants and labor. Because this conversation of, you know, when we usually have it, uh, Max, when you wrote in and and we talked about this, uh, you know, previously offline, it almost always focuses backwards in time, right? A time when we needed a lot of labor, especially unskilled labor, to work in our farms or factories and forests. But the real question is, what does the future look like? What is the need of future human labor in this country? Ah, well, that is a question. And that's because, as listeners know, we are living in the midst of a technological revolution, an AI revolution, which has at its foundational goal to create cheaper, more reliable versions of the human mind. And ideally, they want to put that computer mind inside of a robot or some sort of device that takes the place of or reduces the need for human labor. So to take this sort of cerebral conversation and put some numbers to it to really just show how serious this is, consider this. There's a company called NVIDIA. They're the leading maker of something called GPUs, which are the the computational brains of the AI revolution. And about eight months ago, the CEO of this company said this, corporate America will invest $1 trillion in new AI data center centers over the next four years using his GPUs or those companies that make GPUs. Now, most of this investment will be money coming from Google, Apple, 
Microsoft, Meta, and a, a number of other AI-centric companies like OpenAI. My point is this. People are not going to make a $1 trillion play unless you have pretty high confidence that you are going to make a lot of money from that trillion dollar bet. And in this case, the bet is that businesses in this in this country and in this world are going to be buying AI products because that means that they don't have to hire as many humans. So knowing that, ask yourselves this next trillion dollar question. If our corporate leaders are investing in stuff that will reduce the need for human labor, what jobs will these millions of illegal migrants actually take? What jobs are they going to hold when we know that the vast majority don't speak English? They don't have a trade or a skill or any advanced education. They offer no resources to invest in other companies and so forth. Well, the historical answer to this question was that they would work in the mountains. You know, they would cut trees or mine coal, or they would go to a factory floor and they would work on assembly lines or plantations picking cotton. But that intense manual labor was largely in the past. It is not the future. So that is my response to this idea that we need a lot more migrants for economic development because, ladies and gentlemen, this is not the year 1823 or 1923. It is 2023, and the world has changed, and it is going to change so much more profoundly in ways that we don't even currently appreciate. Third, let's talk about this argument that there aren't enough babies. Democrats say that we need illegal migrants to make up for our declining birth rates. So it is true that as a country develops economically, people usually have fewer babies. And there are a lot of different reasons for that, but the, uh, there is one that I think that is, is pretty important. So the issue is not that people aren't good at making babies. People are actually quite good at doing that. Ask anybody on a honeymoon. They have the motivation. The problem is the expense of having babies and raising those kids. Right? If it is prohibitively expensive to have and raise a child, then couples are not going to make one unless it's on accident. So if you have a nation with declining birth rates, you have two options, politically and policy-wise. You can import babies, which is what Democrats are proposing for us, or you create policies to incentivize people to get married and to make babies and raise them. Now, the policy solutions to, to this idea for this latter suggestion, boy, there's a lot of them, and there are great ones, and frankly, it is a brief in and of itself. And so I'm not going to dive uh, too deeply into this, but in short, here it is. You create things like tax benefits and or penalties to encourage marriage, uh, to have kids. You find policies to disincentivize then any kind of single parenthood. In other words, you, you don't need to import people and babies unless unless the goal is to replace americans with something else ah and that takes us to the socialist and marxist arguments for open borders again they argue that borders are violence they are created by the colonizers who are the white folks the males christians straight folks jewish and so forth and so to reduce the influence and the power of those colonizers, at least, again, according to the Democrats and leftists, you've got to open the borders and flood the country with a new set of people. And those new people will then help you redesign or reboot the American Republic into something else, namely a socialist nation. 
Now, some people will say, oh, this sounds a lot like that uh, crazy great replacement theory. That is a conspiracy or some radical right concept. So here is what I would encourage you to do if you're wondering whether or not that is true. Read a document, a, a treatise by the Democrat Socialists of America. It lays out their goals and what kind of America they want to create. It's a document that is entitled Toward Freedom, Democratic Socialist Theory and Practice. It's on the web. It's dated back in December of 2012. And as you read this, it's all there. The Marxists of this country are very open with who they are, what they are doing, and why. And that includes mass migration or open borders. And these folks, these DSA socialists, they are not alone. Leftist organizations talk all the time about the importance of replacing our current society and the power structures with what they call new ones or better ones. And let me just give you one example. So three years ago, the Smithsonian Museum of African-American History, they issued guidance on how this country should talk about race. And the graphics that this museum, the Smithsonian Museum, offered was that, well, being white was bad because being white was about hard work and being on time and having a mom and a dad or being Christian, thinking objectively or with reason, also embracing the rule of law, those are all bad things because those are all white things. They are colonizing behavior. And the Smithsonian Museum was trying to tell the country three years ago that all that stuff has to be replaced, obviously with the opposite, right? The leftist at that museum want us to reject things like work or that you only need one parent or that you, you shouldn't be Christian and you shouldn't think objectively, but rather you should be emotional and throw out the rule of law. So all that obviously sounds crazy and conspiratorial, but it has been published. In fact, it was in July of 2020, if you'd like to research that for yourself. And I promise when you find it, you're not going to believe it when you see it, but you should both see it and believe it because they're serious. These folks on the left want to destroy modern society. They want to destroy the American Republic and replace it with a radical leftist nation. And one way to accomplish their goal is by dispiriting you, by making you feel that if you are white or male or Christian or straight, well, all those things are bad and you should feel bad about those things. And if that doesn't work, they will also leave you dispirited when they open the borders to people who they say are good. Right? Anybody who doesn't look like you, who doesn't act like you, it is they, right? the people of color, just not your color, it is they who will be given power by the leftists. Again, they are here only because of the leftists, and so they become an instant base of supporters. And I'll tell you, if there were any doubt about that, we have more than just those graphics from the Smithsonian Museum. We have footage right now of migrants at the border who are saying, thank you, Joe Biden, Thank you, Democrats. So yes, these folks know. The migrants know exactly who brought them here. And it's not because we need them to work in our fields or help us make more babies. So, Max, there you go. I offered up five arguments that Democrats and leftists traditionally make for liberal or open borders. And I've just given you my response of why I think those things are just silly or bonkers or we shouldn't do it. So, Max, how'd I do? Well, as you and others think about that, let's take our final break of the morning. When we come back, we are going to talk about polls, the next election, and whether voting even matters in this country anymore. We'll be right back. 
my friends, for the past few months, you have heard me talk about Jace Medical. It's the company that provides you medication for emergency use like antibiotics. Also, they get you backup prescriptions for things like cholesterol, diabetes, and blood pressure. And here's why I love Jace Medical so much. If you are a farming or a ranching family or you live in the back 40, it is pretty tough to get a hold of a doctor, to travel to the appointment, get the prescription, you fill it, and so forth. But with Jace Medical, all you have to do is fill out a simple online form and in some cases have a quick call with one of their board-certified physicians. And then you get the medication right in the mail. You also get ongoing care from Jace Physicians about any treatment-related questions, which is fantastic. In other words, folks, you get peace of mind, you get convenience, and you get an emergency supply of medicines no matter where you are. And that is great for a lot of people, rural families, folks who are traveling, or those of us who might be a little bit anxious these days about our unpredictable world, and you might prefer to have an emergency supply of medicines on hand. And that's kind of smart. So do what I've done. Go to jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Enter that promo code right. W-R-I-G-H-T is the spelling. And when you do, you will get a right report discount. Again, my friends, go to jacemedical.com, promo code right, and get the supply of medicines you need, folks, shipped straight to your door. Welcome back to The Right Report. We wrap up this morning with questions about polls, the next election, and whether voting even matters anymore. So JP from Flemington, New Jersey, wrote in about the accuracy of polls. Also joining him in some similar questions are Shane, Barbara, Chris from Panama, Florida. They wrote in with basically this next collective argument. Brian, polls since the year 2016 in that election, they have been wrong again and again. They have either said that Trump was going to lose, like in 2016, but they were wrong, or they said that Trump or Republicans would win in many states, but then they actually lost. So are polls just worthless? And how can I possibly believe that my vote even matters? Because if the polls, at least initially, are correct, and then suddenly they're just radically wrong, well, then it probably means that the elections are being stolen. So these were such great questions. JP, Shane, Barbara, Chris. Fantastic uh, questions and absolutely fair concerns. So my response to your questions could be, frankly, a brief in of its own. But in the interest of time, I'm going to neck it down for us with just a couple of recent pieces of news. The first one you might recall, I actually shared with you previously, how voters in Green Charter Township in Michigan threw out their city council because basically they allowed in a Chinese battery company called Goshen. The local government at the time said yes to Beijing and that company. But the voters, they got angry and they said no. And so there was a disagreement and they threw the the bums out. Most of them are Republicans, actually. And they voted in a new city council. They were all locals who had never run for office before. Just angry moms and dads and retirees. Just normal people like you and I. Next, in Loudoun County, Virginia, voters there ejected a leftist district attorney who was financed by the radical leftist George Soros, and they replaced this gal with a conservative lawyer who promised the people law and order, and he won his election by less than 300 votes. Third and finally, in Louisiana, in a a city that I cannot pronounce because I don't speak the language down there, anyway, the sheriff's race in a parish down there just a couple of months ago It came down to one vote. 
out of 42,000 that were cast. And now either there is going to be a new election because of apparently some voting irregularities or the state Supreme Court is going to have to step in. My point is that in all three races, the polls were not exactly perfect. They weren't exactly accurate. And that's because depending on the sample of voters, both in terms of size and preferences, the polls are going to be a little bit off, right? You're going to get a different outcome on election day. In other words, it all comes down to turnout, who showed up and who didn't. So JP and Shane and Barbara and Chris, that means two things. First, it means that polls, they're helpful, but they're not prescriptive. Yes, they can be helpful when you start getting a lot of them that are of similar quality and size, and they are starting to say pretty much the same thing. That does suggest that we have a trend and we should pay attention to the results. They have value. But again, they're not prescriptive. These polls can be wrong, especially if people don't vote or people, they do vote that said that they wouldn't or they hadn't planned on it, but they do anyway. And that's important because maybe some of those folks that did not plan to vote, but did, in other words, maybe they almost gave up, but they didn't. They decided in places like Michigan, Virginia, and Louisiana, that they were going to go to the polls because they knew that their voices still mattered. They felt like at least on the local and state level, they still had a shot to change the future of their cities and their country. And it was their duty to at least try. And if not for them, then for their kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews or just the neighborhood kids. So JP and Shane and Barbara and Chris, that is what I would offer to you. And it's my challenge to you, to all of us. Yes, we should pay attention to the polls, fair enough. But more importantly, we got to get organized. We got to resolve to vote and at least grab two friends as we go to the polls and get them to vote as well. And if you were feeling extra inspired, go to church, your bowling league, whatever, and get them organized as well. Because that's what it's going to take if you want to change things locally or otherwise. That is the message, ladies and gentlemen, that your fellow Americans in Michigan, Virginia, and Louisiana are leaving with us this morning. The question is whether or not we are going to listen. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief, this morning's special episode of Unscripted. Did you enjoy it? I sure hope so. I am having so much fun answering your questions, and I am so grateful for all of you who are listening. And also, I've got some great feedback over the past day, so thank you. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. Hear the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.